Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I just want to thank my contributors to the show. Without them, this wouldn't be possible. My executive producer, Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger. Senior editor, Amanda Steele, author of Ghost of Me. Binaural production engineer, Damien Keller, and author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great. Monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And if you are interested in contributing to this podcast and keeping it commercial free and help cover some of the costs of production, such as um, hosting and different software packages that I use for editing, uh, you can definitely go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com. And you can check all check out all the different ways you contribute. And sometimes you can even just contribute by simply uh, tweeting or sharing this uh, podcast on your social media. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Judith Corvin Blackburn. She is the author of Raising Your 5D Frequency. Is that right? Activating. Activating. Activating your 5D. That's close. Thanks for coming on today. You have the main words. (laughs) How are you today? I'm doing pretty good, Gary. How are you doing? I'm doing good. This is my second episode of the day. Okay. Your hands. Um, So um, I was looking at your website, and you were talking. One of the things that you mentioned was about moving into the Aquarian age. there seems to be a little confusion about when the Aquarian age actually begins. Um, can, can you explain that a little bit for me? Well, it's no doubt a process. Okay, each of the astrological ages is 2,000 years. <clears throat> so it's very unlikely, you know, April 22nd, 2020 is when we're in the Aquarian age. Although there was a significant conjunction on the winter solstice of 2020, Um, of Jupiter and Saturn. And because it happened on the solstice, a lot of astrologers are saying that's when we've entered. Uh, Other astrologer friends of mine are like, no, there's not just one date. So it's really more a state of mind than having to go to a calendar and say, okay, now we're here. It's a consciousness that's opening up. So it didn't start with the movie Hair? Might have. (laughs) (laughs) or or E.T. or Close Encounters, all of those Uh, way back. I I just remember the movie here, that that song, We're in the Age of Aquarius. Aquarius, which by interestingly, synchronistically, the group that sang it was the fifth dimension. Interesting. I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) And back in those days, you know, that we were not talking about ascension and getting into the fifth dimension. So it's pretty interesting. Um. So, so uh, you were previously like a psychotherapist, or maybe still are. Is that correct? Yeah, I I still am. my My degree is in um, my degree is in uh, it's a master's of clinical social work. Mm-hmm. But very early on, and and I got my master's in the early seventies. Very early on, uh, I started getting interested in what's called transpersonal psychotherapy 
which means it's not just the emotional state or the mental state of a person, but also how this connects to their soul. So it's a more expanded view of health, really. Ah, interesting. Um, um, how did you, like, what took you, what made you go down that road? Like, I mean, I would say even the idea that is soul, um, some people will say doesn't exist. Well, we all have a right <laughs> to our opinion. But I had an interesting journey in a sense because um, when I was 12 years old, mm -hmm. my father and I liked to talk about ideas. And he told me he was an atheist, which I'd never heard of before. So we talked about it. And actually, I think he was an agnostic, but that was the best languaging he had, meaning he couldn't just believe in some guy in the sky. Didn't mm -hmm. work for him. But I thought that was such an interesting idea. And this was in the 50s and early 60s when I, I don't know what age group. I assume you're a little younger than I am. I mean, Time magazine even had a front cover saying God is dead because people were in transition really spiritually and in terms of religion. So from about 12 to <clears throat> 24 or 5, I would have said, oh, I'm an atheist. And I was very much into more intellectual kinds of pursuits. But I was also really drawn to yoga and astrology without understanding how those were connected up to spiritual things. <clears throat> and in that interest, a friend of mine gave me the book or recommended the book, The Autobiography of a Yoga. Yogi? That's one of my favorites. Yogananda. I love Great. that book. Okay. So it changed my life, literally. And what I would do is I'd read a few pages, um, do yoga every morning, read a few pages. And it's, as you know, it's a long book. And my consciousness started opening. And then I realized, wait, this isn't about being an atheist. There is a divine force here. Right. And I started having some experiences where I could feel it. And that... I call it my conversionary experience. <laughs> so that was the end of that. But I, I started from kind of an interesting point of view, which is no, I would have said, I don't know what I would have said about the soul, but it wasn't a language that I would mm -hmm. have thought to use. Yeah, I definitely highly recommend that book. If there's two books I really recommend is The Autobiography of a Yogi. And I'll say the other one that really changed my perspective on spirituality was uh, How to See Yourself as You Really Are by the Dalai Lama. Oh, like, and I have not read that, but the so, title sounds like... So, so those two books were definitely really changed my whole perspective on, on these topics. Pretty cool. Yep. Um, so how... What, what is the fifth dimension? What is that? <laughs> well... There are many lenses that people are using for multidimensionality. Mm -hmm. the, the information that I really connected to came through Barbara Hanclaw's work. Um, I had read the Pleiadian Agenda decades ago, and then um, in 2010, maybe, she came out with, she and her husband wrote this book, Alchemy of Nine Dimensions, and she explained brilliantly this nine-dimensional axis of multidimensionality. Uh, the first dimension being in the crystal iron core of the earth, the mm -hmm. ninth being in um, uh, the lactic center. And we all have, 
it's all of us. We have access to all nine dimensions at a certain level of consciousness. So then I became interested in multidimensionality in general. <clears throat> I had actually been teaching it some, and, and uh, the other book I wrote, to, uh, well, my second book was called Empowering the Spirit. And I have a section in there about um, the horizontal access to multidimensionality, which is being able to connect with other lifetimes. But um, I didn't think about multidimensionality in the way that I did until I read, the, in the way I do now until I read Barbara's book. And um, basically, I guess the way I like to explain it is that, you know, we're conditioned in this very narrow broad, broadband of what's real. As we develop and open our consciousness, that broadband expands. As we begin to understand how vast we are, we expand, you know, mm -hmm. our whole way of looking at the world at ourselves shifts. The fifth dimension, and again, this was Barbara's theories that she got from the Pleiadians, is centered on unconditional love. So love of self and others, people forget love of self being as important. Um, unity consciousness, so we move away from the separation consciousness of us, them, thinking we're somehow different than nature, that we have a right to ravish Mother Earth, on and on. Um, and unbridled creativity. And I, I sort of love that last piece. Um, and she goes through and explains this from uh, the point of view of physics, which I cannot explain much mm -hmm. to you, but it was brilliant, and I recommend her book highly. Now, there are a lot of other people talking about ascension and the fifth dimension and teaching about it from the lens of sacred geometry. Right. All the lenses are accurate. And, inter and interestingly enough, the lenses have different definitions of the first through fourth dimension and what the higher dimensions are, but they all agree on the fifth dimension. Mm. So I find that very interesting. But, and, and sort of, you know, guide me if I'm getting off oh, track. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Um, the, we're in this evolutionary leap. And again, before I had multidimensional language, I was conscious of this evolutionary leap culturally, it really started coming in with the, the 60s and the 70s. Um, and, you know, the whole youth movement, of which I was part of, that was saying, wait a minute, all the stuff we've been taught doesn't make any sense. And we really need to expand our consciousness, even though a lot of it was through hallucinogenics, but that doesn't mean you were getting bad information. Um, the, um, so, um so there's been this sort of evolutionary push on the planet. As I read Barbara's theories, I, I saw it, it was, her theory was so elegant that this was a wonderful way to describe this evolutionary leap, that we're actually moving, and I've sort of altered it some in my own theory, we're moving from being third and fourth dimensional beings into fifth and sixth dimensional beings. And as we open to the fifth dimension, of course, as I said, it's unconditional love, unity, consciousness. We are all interconnected. Anything I do affects the whole. Um, 
It also means to get there and to open the heart, you have to move out of judgment and several other things, which means navigating the fourth dimension, mm -hmm. which if you're interested, I'm happy to talk about. Um, and the sixth dimension is understanding not only that we're co-creators, but how that works. So in that process, we're also stepping out of victim consciousness because in 3D, in the ego self, either somebody's getting victimized or victimizing somebody else. Um, and into mastery consciousness. And um, so, so let me stop there and let you ask a question. Because I know where I'd go uh -huh. next, but I'm curious. For well, one of the things I... I was just doing another, I interviewed somebody else a couple of days ago on this, on a similar topic. And, um, she mentioned that, that right now we are sort of in the fourth dimension, which is a transitionary dimension. Is that true? Well, I, you know, I don't think it's a matter of true or not true. <clears throat> right. The fourth dimension is very complex. Again, working on this nine-dimensional axis, which is not the only theory of multidimensionality. The main piece about the fourth dimension is that if we get caught up in polarity, because 3D and 4D have polarity, if we get caught up rather than imbalanced, we create this murkiness that the, the way Barbara describes the um, fourth dimension, which works for me, is it's a canopy. And it's supposed to be beautiful, permeable light that lets in the energies from the higher dimensions. But if we're out of balance, which clearly most people on the planet are, we're putting in, um, we're getting caught in, in wounding and negative energy and trauma, which we've all been through to some degree, and not knowing how to process that through. And so we say stop kind of in this murky, murky canopy. Higher 4D is um, when you start moving out of it. And I don't speak a lot about that, partly because as a therapist, part of what I teach and write about is how to navigate through the emotional challenges of 4D. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what's needed to most heal our planet right now, or at least my contribution to that. I mean, everybody has their own, their own piece of things. Right. Cool. When when you mentioned the fifth dimension and you start describing it to me, like I was mentioning that book, How to See Yourself as You Really Are by the Dalai Lama, one of the key aspects of that book that really, really resonated with me is the idea of no self. And when there is no self, then there's no more judgment. There is you're one with all. And it makes it really opens the door to unconditional compassionate love mm. yes well i haven't read the book of course you know i know the dalai lama and, <laughs> <laughs> um, and his beautiful heart the it's interesting though because the east of course doesn't um, encourage individuality in the way the west does so our ego development, I think, is different. Mm -hmm. But I also think that it's really important to have, <clears throat> to feel a sense of empowerment. And we get that through the self. At that point is when we're able to let go of and step more into that self, selflessness or 
what was the term you used? I'm sorry, I forgot the. I don't remember. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> no self. <laughs> but I because we're in this transition stage, and and by the way, the piece I don't want to forget is we have been here before. We have been fifth dimensional beings, enlightened masters such as Yogananda and the Dalai Lama are really operating very much on fifth dimensional frequency. Mm -hmm. Many of the indigenous tribes are have still held on to some of that. Um, but we've been in this huge dimensional descent collectively, and now we're, we're reversing that process. Mm -hmm. So the, so we are moving in, in separation consciousness in that, that sort of wounded 3D consciousness, we have gone into allowing the ego to run the show, essentially, which is the self, which is the judgy part, which is, and I call it the conditioned ego. I think that there's a healthy ego. The healthy ego isn't judging, and it's just there to help you maneuver while we're still on the planet, okay? Right. But but it's being guided by the spirit mm -hmm. or no self, Okay, it's being guided by the, the love and compassionate part of ourselves, which is that fifth dimensional frequency. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think the ego is like a tool. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. It, uh, what was I going to ask? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I lost my train of thought. It'll come back. Okay. All right. Well, well, where I went with that, because I wanted to speak into this, because my vision, when I think about our creating new earth, you know, call it the Aquarian age, I, I literally see a collective um, co-creation of a really loving, harmonious, evolved planet. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you when that's going to happen. I may be long gone, although we're here doing our part. But I, and when I see that, I see all of these souls that have come in as um, having a piece of the puzzle sorted, being part of what I call the 5D global team, where everyone has a uniqueness, sort of like the snowflake idea. Mm. And in that uniqueness, there's a contribution that they make. Um, as long as they don't get stuck in 3D, 4Ds, if they choose to, to join the team and, and make the contribution. And so in that sense, while the that with concept of the team, everybody's really working together for a higher good, there is individuality in the sense that there's still uniqueness. Mm -hmm. Yes, that makes sense. Now I remember what my question was. You said that we've been in 5D before. What happened? Like, Why did we descend <laughs> into 3D? That is a really good question. <laughs> I have. Um, and what I'm learning, you know, I can't swear to it because we're all, we're downloading things. We're getting senses of things. There's some archaeological things that are coming up in, and being allowed more into awareness. Um, but I, I really don't think anybody knows exactly, but I can give you some ideas. And the Mayan calendar, of course, goes through it as a um, cyclical thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it is possible, and I'm sort of leaning in this direction, that on this planet, there have been people, 
dimensional ascents and dimensional descents. And that may be part of a natural cycle. I would like to think it's, you know, as we go through the cycle, we're evolving. So each time it gets a little bit better. Um, however, when I started my book, what came to me was um, the beings that came here and you know, began Lemuria and began Atlantis, the star seeds essentially, or the star beings that, that are our ancestors and that seeded um, this consciousness on the planet. Um, they didn't know about polarity. They didn't know how to maneuver in 3D. So they were able to, I mean, they were able to utilize the above and the below because they were highly conscious, but maybe they got curious. Mm -hmm. I mean, they thought, hmm, what would it be like to develop ego and get stuck in it? <laughs> With no idea how awful it would actually be. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, that's one theory. Interesting. You know, just before this, I did like a two-hour episode on Atlantis. And um, one of the things that we were talking about is some of the actual archaeological evidence of Atlantis. And the some of the original maps of Earth, where a lot of the Earth was above water and not underwater. And we talked about, you know, Plato's account that he had gotten from Egypt and one of the things that we were talking about is some of the arch you know, archaeological evidence. One of them is the Eye of Africa, which looks an awful lot like the description of Atlantis. And then mm -hmm. here in the United States, there's a place, oddly enough, in Louisiana. It's called um, Poverty Point, which also looks an awfully lot like Atlantis. That really hasn't been investigated that much. So, so there's evidence of this, this type of circular geometric type of colonization that's existed on earth a long time ago when earth had a different layout of, of land mm -hmm. yes so uh, i think maybe there was some kind of possibly like a cataclysmic event that happened and, and also there's evidence that there was more species of human also at that time living again living with each other you know we had like this Hobbit humans, we had the, like this Paracas skull type of humans, we had the Neanderthals, the Cro-Mags, and, and then, you know, something that was probably like us, but all sort of living together. Some of them lived in advanced civilizations, and some of them were primitive, and they just kind of left each other alone. They let each other live the way they wanted to live. Okay, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um, that part I don't know. I don't have a sense of. The um, but the cataclysmic piece I think is really essential. And in fact, in fact, Han Clow has a book called um, Catastrophobia. That I think the book may have changed title after a while. But her whole theory was, and I don't know, I haven't read it, so I don't know if she um, related it to Atlantis. But we know probably about twelve thousand years ago, Atlantis went under. There was mm -hmm. a huge earthquake. There were tsunamis. Probably this where the story of Noah's Ark came from may well have been some kind of a legend that got passed down. And some people dispersed. Some of the Atlanteans dispersed. Certainly Egypt held a very high, way before the pharaohs, held a very high frequency consciousness. And I believe was, was probably one of the last large 5D societies in terms of recent 
recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, there were indigenous tribes that could hold it, but they weren't large organized societies. Right. Um, and the one thing that I find really interesting when you're talking about, you know, Atlantis going to Egypt and then Plato pulling all this together. The um, I teach a mystery school based on the nine dimensions on the vertical axis. In fact, Plato did as well, and it came from Egypt. And I think it initially originated in Atlantis. So that here's Plato, who sort of like, you know, one of the great philosophers of Western civilization, and nobody understands what he's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, so he talked about the world of forms. That's the sixth dimension or Mm -hmm. the quantum field. You know, it took me (laughs) when I was in college and my freshman year in 1964, I had a terrible professor. He was so boring. I was taking Philosophy 101. <laughs> Talked about Plato's world of forms. He didn't get it. I didn't get it. But about <laughs> 30 years later, I had an epiphany like, oh, my God, that's what he was talking about. So the way things have been taught, you know, were, again, essentially dumbed down. Mm-hmm. This is essentially being... Uh, uh, shut down right. and it's but it, back to um the the idea that these cataclysmic things occurred hand Klaus theory was it put everybody in trauma mm-hmm. and in that trauma we shut down a lot of the gifts you know we have 12 strands of dna that are they're actually double helixes right and the conventional scientists i love this they say we use two strands and the other 10 are junk <laughs> Right? It's like, what? You're telling me, <laughs> what, 80% of my DNA has no purpose? Come on. <laughs> so yeah. I think in this evolution, we are opening up those strands little by little. Mm-hmm. I and, agree. Right? And, and so all sorts of gifts and perceptual abilities are opening up for us. Yes, absolutely. Um, when we... Um, I'm not gonna go like like with the Atlantis theory and the Egyptians. Um, you know, like one of the things is like, too. I I, I think archaeology will figure this out because one of the other things that they're starting to look at too now is South America. You know, in the Amazon, they're like, you know, through lidar, they found an entire civilization that that has not been dug up yet. And um, like like right off the bat, they know from the lidar that the Earth was way more populated than what they estimated. Mm-hmm. Um, so our, our our view of what our history is so far off. In fact, even like I'm sure for, for me and for you, everything that I taught was taught in high school about history has basically been debunked as bullshit. Actually, I had I had a great history teacher that threw the textbook on the floor the first the, <laughs> the first day of class and said, basically, this is bullshit. And he taught us some good stuff, but it's still <laughs> so limited. That was American history, so it wasn't very yeah. old anyway. But it, it's still our our view of history is, as you say, it's bullshit. It's ridiculous. It's um, when I was in Egypt, we had a wonder. I was on a shamanic journey in Egypt, which was fabulous. And our Egyptologist, who was a pretty evolved man, um, 
said, there's no way the pyramids, first of all, were built by slave labor. That's been totally debunked. Couldn't have happened. Second of all, he said they were, the, the stones were moved through anti-gravitational rods. Mm -hmm. Now the pyramids are in Giza, which is in the north of the Great Pyramids, which is in the north of Egypt. In one of the temples in the south of Egypt, one of the very ancient temples, there's a hieroglyph that I saw of two men standing across from each other, holding these rods and this huge stone hovering. Mm -hmm. Okay, I mean, this. So, so, you know, if you look up in Wikipedia about history of Egypt, it doesn't tell you that. No. It's still saying, oh, Old Kingdom, which I think is about six or 7,000 years old. So, yes, the history, we don't even begin to know. And there's an African shaman. I have not read his, it's hard to get his books, so I haven't been able to get them directly. But um, a woman named Linda Tucker wrote a book about the mystery of the white lions. She's in South Africa and she's created this preserve for these white lions that are coming in mm -hmm. that are, she said, are avatars that are coming in from Sirius and they were being hunted, and you can imagine. But she quotes this man, Credo Mutwa, this African shaman. Right. And have you heard of him? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, he talks about, first of all, how ancient Africa is. He was part Zulu and part um, Bushman. Okay. And their abilities were amazing. The Bushmen had eyesight, he said, so keen they could see the craters of the moon. Wow. Hearing so attuned, they could hear the spheres, the heavenly spheres. Okay. Hmm. We have, you know, these people were really evolved. And he talks about artifacts from about 100,000 years ago, things like Adam's calendar. But he also talks about spheres and spheroids that have been found that date back millions of years that make our technology look like Stone Age. So hmm. there's just this huge amount of information we don't have yet. And as you say, hopefully the more and more of these archaeological digs are helping. The thing is, as you know, when you get mainstream um, scientists that are, you know, if somebody's hypothesizing something so far out of common knowledge, typically their information does not get published and doesn't get um, validated. Right. I think that's beginning to change, but that's been part of the issue. Right. I, I think definitely the stone levitation by vibration is, is was how they did it. Um, and one of actually, when you mentioned Yogananda, he was actually involved. I think the guy's name was Van Tassel, who created this thing called the Integratron, um, hmm. and it was by this by this rock also that that supposedly vibrated some kind of frequency, and. Um, you know, and they were, they were working with, with these vibrations. Um, Van Tassel's goal was to, um, had to do with the molecules of the body to create like an immortality machine. Oh, but, but it's interesting that, that he was working with Yogananda. Yeah. On that. If it was in the book. I didn't remember that. On it that. May not have been it, it's not in the book. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but if you um, look up Van Tassel and the uh, Integratron, you'll find the story of it. It's really interesting. interesting. All these weird connections. Yeah. Um, 
but I do believe that they used sound or some type of cymatics, which yeah. is also leads into sacred geometry. Yeah. And, and, and so all these little pieces are connected to one another to what you're talking about, which is the extension process and moving into the fifth dimension. Yeah. Yes. And it definitely the sound and resonance. Mm -hmm. I think resonance comes out of 9D, but in it, it um, uh, then of course in, you know, the um, Emoto's work. Oh yeah, with the water. water crystals, mm -hmm. Right, how sound creates certain configurations, which is, is when you really get into that sacred geometry and right. then how that puts the vibration out. Right. Yeah. And also even in the Hindu tradition, you know, they say the universe came from Om. Yes, right. And the Aborigines said they were sung into existence. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's all over. <laughs> we just, we don't pay attention sort of because that junk DNA isn't <laughs> activated. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that you've been mentioning is um, the Pleiadians. Um you know, I've done a lot of episodes on Pleiadians, Syrians, Artorians, and um, is there is there any difference between these different groups? Are they all sort of related? And why are they even? Why would they even bother with the human race to begin with? Um, well, the scuttlebutt, if you will. <laughs> is there are ancestors, all of them, mm -hmm. <laughs> okay? So, you know, we have a connection. Um, and then also, and I'm far from an expert at this, but, um, you know, the earth is supposed to have the ability to hold certain libraries and certain information. There's some very unique configurations on our planet that are really um, valued by what, I've heard called star empires. The Pleiadians mm -hmm. were one, the, the Assyrians, the Arcturians, there were, there were some others. The, um, the piece that I came across, and again, there's so many theories, but I think we have to go with what resonates and what feels aligned with us. You know, we're not gonna get truth from the internet, we're gonna get ideas. And if those ideas connect with what we know at a cellular level, if we're able to tune into that, then they hold some importance. So one of the things that I had actually read, which really clicked for me, is that Lemuria was a combination that the Pleiadians, the Syrians, the uh, Octarians, and Lyrians, who I had not heard of, and I think there might have been one other star system or star civilization, they got together to kind of experiment here. Um, and they did really well for a while. <laughs> mm -hmm. It does appear, and I don't have the answer to this other than I think they all still had also a 3D vibration, that in these advanced civilizations, they were still struggling with what I would call shadow and light. Mm -hmm. with those that really wanted to support, you know, a loving consciousness around the galaxies and those that wanted to just use power. And if you get into the idea of unity consciousness and, and you talked about it, 
a book at the very beginning, one of your sponsors. And I thought it was such a great title. Um, it's not the aliens. It's worse. It's us. Right. Right, it's us. We're all them. <laughs> we're everything is. <clears throat> we're part of this great hologram, so we're all interconnected. So when we deal with sort of positive, negative aliens, whatever you want to call it, <clears throat> star consciousness, what I think we're going through, and what I hope we're going through at an evolutionary process, is finding within ourselves our own shadow, our own. Uh, traumas, our own uh, parts that have not been, um, that are not heart-centered, and we're healing them and working with them. And as we do that, I think that's going to reflect not just on the planet, but the universe, the multiverse, mm -hmm. I mean, on and on. So, Do you think there's any connection between uh, those type of aliens and the ones that seem to physically manifest in UFOs and come down and abduct people and and it seems like they like to mess with our um, our nuclear abilities and he like seem to want to warn people against destruction of Earth, giving them this kind of message that like if we destroy ourselves, it's going to hurt not just us but other unseen things that we don't know about. Yeah, that makes really sense. I've not had any of my, those experiences myself. <clears throat> I think my ego's still a little nervous about it. But I do know really credible people that have definitely been on ships and um, definitely would say, absolutely, we're surrounded by help. But they can't help unless we invite them. I've heard that. Yeah. Um, so, yes, my, my sense is... Absolutely. So with with 2020 and everything that's going on, is this a is this part of the extension process or do you think it's just a plain old shit show? I think it's part of it. Yeah. I, I do. I you know how we create things, so much is created unconsciously. You know, I see this just working with individuals. People that have wonderful affirmations, I want to attract this, I want to attract that. But if unconsciously they're holding a different belief system, like I'm not worthy, I'll never get what I want, the unconscious creates more strongly. That's why it's really important to bring all that belief into consciousness to kind of disempower them. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of, you know, I know people think it's all planned and stuff. I don't know. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that one, but I think of nothing else unconsciously. This is certainly an experience that's helping people wake up and evolve. And as with any crisis, you're going to get people that get stuck in their fear right. uh, or stuck in believing that they have to manipulate it somehow to be okay. And you're going to get people that start activating creativity and, and caring about other people and find their way through in a, and wake up in a, in a whole new way. And I think that's what we've seen in 2020. I mean, certainly, you know, there's been suffering, which 3D has lots of. Right. And people have lost people they really love. And um, there's certainly been economic problems. But, you know, I loved right at the beginning, I live in a little mountain area in Western North Carolina, all of a sudden, 
you could get local masks. Somebody was making them, mm-hmm. you know, so and that was probably within the first two or three weeks of the pandemic. Um, I have heard so many people and groups that I run, people I connect with that are like, this was such a gift ultimately, even though it was hard at first many times, but people have found uh, new ways to live, new ways to be. They faced the unknown and they were able to move through fears. They were able to perhaps uncover gifts they didn't know they had. I know for me, it made me start teaching on Zoom. Right. And I have students from all over the world. If mm-hmm. I had just been doing this in a small area, that would have been so much more difficult. So so there's, and, and you know, everything that's on, well, obviously this is on Zoom. All of the um, possibilities that people have access to, I mean, that just snowballed with 2020 because people had to stay home. So they got creative and created new ways to connect. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, How about the idea that there are um, negative aliens out there that that purposely create fear and then absorb that fear to energize themselves? Do you think uh, there is any um, possibility of that happening? Oh, I definitely think it's possible. My take on it, though, is stop feeding them, <laughs> stop <laughs> focusing on them, and stop giving them food. <laughs> it's like, um, I think there's a lot of disinformation utilizing that. And I think there, from my perspective, I may find out I'm wrong, of course, but there's a lot of people being duped into thinking they should keep focused on that. And it's not certainly the way I, I feel like we should go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's us. <laughs> okay, again, anything in creation is also a part of us. So if we want to heal it, do it from within, because that's what we have control over. Right. It reminds me of that Indian analogy or well, Native American analogy uh, that that each person has two wolves, a good yeah. one and a bad one. And right. it's up to you on which one you want to feed. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that works perfectly. And we know everything is energy. So if you keep focused on what you believe to be negative and have more power, okay, mm-hmm. you, you first of all, you miss that wonderful creative opportunity to do something different. But again, I think if there's, you know, groups of aliens that are out to mess with us, and there could be, I mean, I, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. I do believe that focusing on them feeds them. And I don't believe you have to just be scared to focus on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that I would really encourage anyone listening <laughs> to ponder that and think about what do you want to create? Because we know thought creates. Right. Right? How about reptilians? Yeah, I don't know. I know um, <laughs> the early the early Pleiadian books that um, Barbara Marciniak wrote, and um, uh, the um, Bringers of the Dawn, mm-hmm. and that whole series, which I read and I really liked it. And she talks about reptilians, but again, uh, to me, it's not really relevant. And and I tend to sort of want to create something more accessible and 
practical even, in terms of, yeah, whatever. We can manifest in numerous ways, but what do we want to do on our planet? <laughs> <laughs> what, what kind of planet do we all deserve to live on? And how do we put that? What's the, the most efficient, maybe, and kind way to put that forward? Right. Um, so, I mean, unfortunately, I really haven't had a chance yet to read your book. But do you do any channeling? Um, I don't call it channeling. Uh, so it's not a channeled work, which is different than a lot of the uh, uh -huh. books on 5D. Um, of course, I download. I happen, I'm teaching a class on the book, so I've been rereading it. I'm like, wow, that's really good. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> So, and, and clients that work with me know when we get to a certain place, when either I'm asked a question or I'm not sure where to go, I stop, I close my eyes, I go in, I ask for guidance, the guidance comes through. You can call that channeling. I don't have a particular guide that speaks to me. Mm -hmm. um, or you can just call that uh, what we all have access to when we open that up. You know, that, that sense of guidance and intuition. Yeah, intuition, inspiration. Yes. And even like that funny word, like inspiration, you know, it's like in spirit. <laughs> I know. It's one of my favorite words. I actually have it. I have a little altar right above my computer. And I have inspiration written up there because it's a wonderful word. Well, and, and this is what we got from Emoto's work. Make that into a water crystal. Mm -hmm. I bet it would be stunningly beautiful. Because <laughs> it has a frequency, right? Yeah. Um, so in your book, Enduring Your Workshops, um, like what is the basis of them? Like how does it work? Well, um, I have at this point I have the, the uh, in person. I do have a an online course on my book, Empowering the Spirit, which mm -hmm. is really kind of a um, um, exercise you know a book where you go through and there's a lot of questions and journaling and and that's a uh, an audio class you actually can read it online but it also you listen to to different audio pieces as you go through but the live things i'm doing the main things i'm doing is this mystery school right. with my friend and colleague um carly Mattermore. carly it, we call it the shamanic multi-dimensional mystery school so carly brings in the shamanic part but uh, but of course it's all connected. She's mm -hmm. she's gone to every place in Africa with the animals and the you know she's she connects on that level. I'm more um, in the ethers about things. Um, so what we teach in the mystery school it's very much a process, and we're both therapists by the way. So what we do is not just spiritual theory. It's really helping people experience things through their own wisdom. And we will present teachings, but then we do some journeying with music to help people really tune in. So um, we're helping people tune into frequency, to interconnectedness with everything, how we're connected with the earth, how we're connected with the animals, how we're connected with the stars, to remember, essentially who we are. Mm -hmm. And so the mystery school, it's four part, it's a year and a half to two years. I mean, that's a very deep process. 
and people come through that and they really come out the other end changed. The um, other piece I'm doing is this class on my book. And I, this frankly is the first time I've done it, but I've already scheduled the next one. And um, we look a lot, first of all, we talk a lot about the theories in the book, how we went through the dimensional descent, how we're going through an ascent, what the different dimensions are, how to navigate through 4D, meeting the inner judge to calm them down. I do a lot of guided meditation, again, to tune people into their own wisdom. And um, the first th two thirds of my book are, is very much about um, as individuals and our life in 2021, I wrote it in 2018 or something, um, how we navigate this evolutionary process. So we look at many different aspects of it and we do that in the class. And we do a lot about our resistances mm -hmm. because we all have fears. We all have old beliefs. We're not good enough. We're not this, we're not that. And so um, I really help people both identify them and transform them so they can come into their full contribution. Hmm. And then the last part of the book, which is the last part of my class, is visioning new earth. Let's stop this dystopian shit, because <laughs> <laughs> it fogrates. Mm -hmm. People put a lot of energy into dystopia. Let's start really pondering, what is this going to look like? What is this going to feel like? How are we going to educate our children? How are we going to um, help people stay in balance and be healthy? How are we going to share resources in a way that's fair? Those kinds of things. Do you think we'll ever have to be able to uh, do away with money? I don't know. <laughs> it's an exchange. But it's, okay. an but it's an unequal exchange. I think that's the issue with it. Okay. So really what you're talking about is capitalism. Yeah. Okay. And I certainly hope so because you can't, you, in that system, it's not a free market system. That was, again, a lot of theory that never was true. It is a, a weighted system to keep people at the bottom and people at the top. And when we go no more, we, there's enough resources on the planet. Everybody can live a decent life. Yeah. We can live in a beautiful place. It doesn't have to be 5,000 square feet. Hmm, maybe 1,000 would be okay. But people could have really good homes. They could have good education. They could have, they would be healthy. They don't need the medical system we have now. It would change. And we could... You know, I don't, I think Western Europe is beginning to um, shift things economically and still keep a model of what you could call capitalism because they tax very, very, very wealthy, very high. Mm -hmm. And they put that into free, not just free regular education, free upper, you know, colleges, daycare, medical care. Mm -hmm. Things that, that benefit everybody. And I think in, that the sad thing is that the people that are scared of this don't understand that when there are people suffering, and many of them are the people suffering, it hurts everybody. 
we need a thriving world. Mm. If we're going to have a thriving world, we got to start sharing resources, not a giveaway, but sharing. And, and people want to contribute. I don't believe people just want to sit back and um, unless they're carrying a very 3D belief yeah. that it's dog eat dog. <laughs> Okay. Right. Dogs don't eat other dogs. So I don't know where that came from. But. Yeah. Dogs don't taste good anyway. They're, no, they're, I wouldn't think so. They're, they're, it's they're, not on my menu. They're, 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 they're much better just to hang out and pet them. Right. <laughs> Actually, I have a dear friend who's writing a book on animals as way showers. And you might want to interview her. You can email me afterwards. If yeah. You're Send me your email address. I'll do it. I will, I will do that. Um, so we can create this. We can co-create this beautiful world. We just have to believe it's possible. And so that's why, to me, focusing on, you know, I think it's good to educate people about um, a lot of the mythology that we're taught. Mm -hmm. That, no, that's not true. It's not true there's equal opportunity. It's not true there's this and that. And it's never, you know, it's not true there's no big shadow in the United States that we've never dealt with. You know, yes, we need to know these things. But then we need to step up and go, okay, what do we really want to create? How can we take the good stuff right. and expand it? Yeah, so some of the infighting that goes on with people doesn't make any sense to me because at the end of the day, everybody just wants and everybody definitely just needs the same thing. There's, exactly. You know, there's, there's just this different point of view right. on, on how to achieve it. Exactly. And, and the fight over that seems kind of silly. Um, and if it's fear-based, there's a belief in scarcity. Mm-hmm. That if I let you have something that I could have, that somehow I won't have enough. Right. And I think that's what keeps, and there's manipulation. I mean, that's what keeps this infighting. But it's, it, yes, at the end of the day, let's all get along. Right. And the other part that doesn't make sense is you're going to die anyway. Well, there's a point. You know, so, 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 you know, I mean, how, how long are you going to have this, you know, big house or money or fancy car? Like, right. when, when in the end, you're going to end up dead. Right. Well, and that's where, you know, that's where Eastern, the Eastern teachings are so good about non attachment mm -hmm. and helping people understand. And the reality is, you know, you can have, big houses and spiffy cars and go on great, amazing vacations, it doesn't mean you're happy. No, it doesn't. Not even close. Right. Exactly. And and people don't understand that. They think if they could just get that. Because that's the illusion that's been perpetrated. Mm -hmm. It's silliness, really. It is. I'm you with know. you. All right. Um, one one of the things too that I believe that really can help people change. I, I've had one myself. I mean, I don't know really how sometimes to go about it, but like a near death experience. Mm -hmm. Like like if you've experienced death and find out that you're not a body, but you're more. The other things in this three D world seem a lot less uh, consequent, consequential is the word, I guess, or yeah. like, they don't matter as much. You don't have the same importance. 
Right. Because you've actually experienced something. Um, well, again, Eastern teachings would call it Maya, beyond the illusion. Mm -hmm. So when you when you have a near-death experience, when you have something else that feels miraculous, it, it pushes people to go, wait a minute. And then you see things through a very different lens. And from that expanded lens, it looks very different than it did than through the narrow, the narrow broadband. Yeah. Have you ever had any type of experience like that? I've not. I haven't had near death. Um, I have been quite lucky to be healthy. Mm. <laughs> and, and I was in a, a car accident that was actually probably my fault driving. This is 10 years ago, driving like a teenager. But um, amazingly, you know, we flipped the car around a highway. I was going 70, 80 miles an hour. My husband was in the passenger seat. I severed a couple of tendons by putting my hand out. There was glass everywhere, but mm -hmm. the actual accident, airbags, Honda CRV, man, we, <laughs> we didn't get hurt. <laughs> um, so, you know, and I had already been doing so much awakening work that mm -hmm. I, I went into, well, first of all, super gratitude. <laughs> right. If you had seen the car, it would have been like true. But I've not had, I've, I've not. When people really, and I, I don't know what your experience was, but you know, all of a sudden, you are your perceptual field really shifts, is what it sounds like. Yeah. And whether you go through the tunnel or the light or what, what's on the other end, right. I, I've never had anything like that. Interesting. What happened to me was it was an epileptic seizure, and and yeah, oh. I, I went into the tunnel. There was no light where I was, but there was like a swirling vortex of colors. But the coolest part was I knew it was there, and I didn't feel afraid. I, I, I was really just like astounded by it, you know. And, and then, you know, I heard my wife yelling at me to come back, and I, and, mm. you know, and, and I woke up, and I was like, damn it, that was pretty cool. <laughs> Why did I have to come back? Yeah, you're not the first person I've heard say those things. You know. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, it, it, it changed me. I was like, I was like, okay. I, you know, I mean, I, I've heard all the stuff from neurologists and stuff. Oh, it's just your brain, you know, flickering in and out and stuff like that. It's not that. There you go. It, it's definitely not that. It, it is not like, it's not a dream. It's not the brain flickering in and out. You know, it's. It's not even like a good drug trip. It's completely different. Interesting. So this is what interests me, among other things, with that experience, Carrie. Somehow you know, all right, you know what it's not. Mm -hmm. You know how it felt. You went into the ability to totally validate that experience from something that you feel. Yeah. Right. And I feel like that's what's going to change the world as we um, learn to tune in to trust that. I mean, it sounds like for me, you, the, to me, the experience you have was so powerful. Doubt didn't even, <laughs> it just wasn't relevant. It can't. <laughs> and my, um, while people may not all have access to that particular type of experience, we all have access to. Uh, connecting in what we'd call mystically to 
higher realms, mm-hmm. higher consciousness. And the only way it's, well, I don't even want to say only way. As we throw off a lot of the old conditioning, the old rules, the old belief system that collectively we've held on to, people are only really going to have a sense of how to maneuver when they can trust their hearts, okay? That Mm -hmm. they get a feeling and know how to trust it. And that's that's what I hear you say, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do know. One of the reasons I, I focus on a lot of these topics in my podcast is, I don't know. I, I would like to try to convince people to experiment with their consciousness. Don't, don't be afraid to experiment. Don't be afraid to meditate or, or try sacred geometry or binaural beats or like, I, I'm not saying like, or, you know, um, I mean, the drug thing is sort of a kind of controversial issue, you know, but, but there's definitely other ways to achieve it without the drugs anyway. There's hypnosis, there's different types of trance, there's lights, there's color. Mm-hmm. And, and, and using all those different things, you, people can, can use, can, can, can have their own experiences. Yes, exactly. And let me add a few other things. One is shamanic breath work. I actually live in the Isis Cove community that was started by Linda Starwolf and Brad Collins. And Starwolf, um, through coming through some other, you know, starting with holotropic breath work, she developed what's called shamanic breath work, mm-hmm. which is to help people get into those trances, exactly what you're saying. And what I find interesting, having come through this. 60s and 70s myself, is that now a lot of the, um, a lot of plant medicine is coming back and it's being used therapeutically through shamans, but also through therapists. I've been hearing more and more therapists that are using even MDA, MDMA, which it's chemical. So I I would be a little more hesitant about that, but also, you know, different mushrooms and of course, ayahuasca and all sorts of things that open people's consciousness. But again, having come through the sixties and seventies, we had a really important phrase, which was, you have to know how to maintain on the trip. Mm -hmm. So when your consciousness opens, you have to be ground, whether it's, you know, through, through some sort of um, plant medicine ceremony or breath work or the one the meditation or whatever you have to be grounded you have to be connected enough to the earth really yeah to be able to maneuver your life because if your life falls apart if your external life falls apart it, it, it's too distracting mm-hmm. <laughs> for lack of a better way to say it right so there's certain um, however, things like meditation, you know, that's, you can't go farther than you're ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if it's, you could with drugs, you could possibly with breath work if you don't have people there helping you. Um, but yes, experiment because it opens up new channels that lets us see what's real mm-hmm. and not again, that narrow bandwidth. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I did do like a three month binge on, angel dust when I was young. Mm. 
but it wasn't a spiritual experience. Right. I, I didn't, I, I didn't care yeah. about that part of it, you know. Right, and that's not a spiritual drug. I mean, the drugs do have different vibrations. I mean, that's a oh, whoa. <laughs> okay, drug. <laughs> uh, I, I liked it because it was, uh, it, it was powerful and it was cheap. You know, I, I, I could buy like a half ounce of it and it would last me three, last three months, okay. you know? Yeah. And all, and my, without, all my friends yeah. thought I was crazy. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, you could have really messed with yourself, but you didn't because it probably was part of your soul journey. And, you know, the drugs that were popular in the 60s and 70s were pot, which now is legalized in a lot of the country. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, of course you can use anything to excess, mm -hmm. but in and of itself, it's pretty harmless. It's more harmless than alcohol. Big time. And it does open up the It does open up your consciousness if you're not misusing it. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, uh, LSD, of course, the Timothy Leary time mm -hmm. and Ram Dass before he was Ram Dass. Um, that is a chemical experience, but it did open up consciousness. It opened up channels that we have access to, probably the DNA. Yeah. That's gotten shut down, that we're reopening little by little. It opens that up so you can have visions that actually help you see reality more clearly, but you have to still know how to maintain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Another weird thing that I've discovered recently, too, is sun gazing actually has an effect. Oh, I've heard that. Now, I haven't done it, but yes, and the sun is putting out emitting powerful frequencies. I'm sure it always did, but right now, yeah. with this, this whole photon belt, it's supposed to be stronger and stronger. Yeah. So so there's all different ways to, for people to experiment to ha just to have these experiences and for me anyway and i'm not bashing religion or anything because i believe that religion and faith has has its place mm -hmm. but it's also nice to not have to take things out of faith and actually have the experience yeah well it has to wreck you know i really agree with you and it it had the, the Probably the language I would use, it has to resonate inside of you. Uh -huh. That's a good way of putting it. Right? And and then you know. And so, you know, I, I'm I'm not big on religion. I, I joke even paganism's too organized for me. <laughs> me too. <laughs> but, but that doesn't mean there isn't spirit at the core of all of them. Mm-hmm. And some people are able to, you know, go to utilize that. And that's what counts. Again, it's the spirit that comes through and how it, it if you can feel that in your body. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not even, it's really in your center because you could get out of your body and still know it. That's yeah. kind of what happened to you. <laughs> Interesting. Um, do you have a timeline for the 5D transition? I don't. Um, I don't know. I think, and actually I end the book this way, it could be 50 years, it could be 250 years. And of course, it depends what we're talking about in terms of how um, um, full a transition. 
<clears throat> the other thing that I think is happening is there are a lot of people waking up in many, many different ways. You've talked a lot about them as well and are operating often off of a higher frequency, mm-hmm. probably a 5D frequency coming through the heart. There are also people that are really stuck in and going, uh-uh, I'm not changing. The world can't change, you know, really stuck in trying to hold on um, it through the ego out of either fear or power or whatever. And they're stuck in a lower frequency. So it's almost like two parallel realities. You know, we all go to the grocery store, uh-huh. but there's still some parallel realities. What I talk about in my book, though, is that this is a process. So, yes, I can be in a higher frequency a lot, but I'm not going to be there constantly. Mm -hmm. I'm still human. I'm going to have a dip. (laughs) (laughs) It's human, right? And that's okay. And then I can have tools Mm -hmm. to reconnect and expand. And so I guess part of what I'm saying is, you know, it's a journey and I don't know when the destination, if ever is, because when we get to what might look like a destination, we'll be able to see even bigger visions. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, I don't have a timeline. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you just said so, one of the things that you mentioned, said that is, uh, um, resonated with me was, you know, that, that, that some people can be up here. You have other people down here that are still hanging on. And like I mentioned earlier in the show about like Atlantis and, and there seems to be there seem to be different degrees of awakened beings existing on the planet at the same time. Yeah. And they just left each other alone. They didn't clash like we're clashing now. You know. Um you know, I I I, I think one of the you know, it just makes me think like maybe one of the keys really is to kind of accept where people are at. Well, if everybody does that, then they automatically raise the frequency. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Because yeah. truly, if we're coming out of a love vibration, it's like everybody's got their journey. Everybody's a reflection of everybody else, Mm -hmm. you know? And so absolutely let people, as long as they're not doing harm. Well, even I think like, like, like people who are running on a lower vibration that want to do harm, you know, I still think like maybe the best thing to do is just kind of leave them alone. Let them run their, let it run its course. You know, it's like when you get, catch a cold sometimes you just got to lay down and let it go, let it run its course. And that's very interesting. I, I really like that. Um, and um, because what's also happening is with these frequency waves, you know. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's say I'm going to go like this, more 5D, more 3D, okay? Um, we're actually living in two different worlds. Right. When you're living in that more loving, higher frequency, your outer life gets better. Mm-hmm. Um, you're happier. Your relationships are different. So, in a way, we live in two different worlds when you're talking about those frequency yeah. pieces. And maybe two different timelines. I don't that gets complex, but <laughs> um, 
Do you believe that there's angelic beings that are helping us too? I definitely. Well, you know, 4D has all these archetypes. And I think a lot of the angelic beings are from the higher part of 4D. Um, many are outer spatials, but perhaps um, manifestations of of people who, of uh, souls that have been in the body but have reached a certain level of development that are here to help. But do I think there are angels around? Absolutely. And again, what we call the invisible worlds because we don't know how to. Most of us don't know how to see in them all that well. Mm -hmm. um, that there's all sorts of help available, and that's also us. You know, we're we're all of it. So. Right. What do you think about time? Do you think time is a linear thing only, or only a construct of reality? Or is it something that everything is just happening at once and it's just our perception that's creating an illusion of time? Actually, I write a fair amount about, a bit about time. 3D time is when you have past, present, and future yeah. and it's linear. Uh, when you get into higher dimensional time, starting in 4D, everything is happening simultaneously. But I think we, so that there are a lot of timelines going on, but I think we sort of choose what to perceive. You know, we, we focus on, otherwise we'd be so expanded if you couldn't walk around. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and I think in this transitional state, especially linear time has a good purpose for us. When I tune in to... Uh, like what I am experiences a 5D, full 5D human society, you don't need time in a linear way because you're all in flow. So I don't need to schedule a meeting at Wednesday at one o'clock because there's a, a, there's a frequency where we all know we'll just be there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So at some point in our development, it probably linear time probably won't be very important. And actually I remember traveling in Morocco in 1972 and people's experience of time there was quite different. So if you were invited for dinner on Thursday, you know, I invite you for dinner on Thursday at my house. Don't show up next week. <laughs> Come on <laughs> Thursday, right? But in, in Moroccan society, they invite you on Thursday. You can show up Thursday or anytime after that. It's all the same to me. No, I'm sure that's changed. That was a long time ago. Uh -huh. But, but th that worked out perfectly in a culture that's flowing. Right. I guess it was kind of like that with my family. Like my grandparents came to the U.S. from Italy, and they were kind of like that same way. You know, oh. like you could come over. Like like if they had like Sunday dinner, that kind of just meant you were invited for dinner for the whole week. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> and you know just speaking in into that that you can feel the flow of it right mm -hmm. okay where we like to compartmentalize and so so definitely when you get out of third dimension the third dimension though all time is simultaneous and actually as a therapist the um where that's relevant for emotional healing the left hemisphere of the brain is very much in linear time, past, present, future, what we call logic. The right hemisphere is in more fourth dimensional time, 
everything happens simultaneously. <clears throat> if you go through a child uh, trauma as a child or as an adult, but I'll use children as an example, you go through trauma, it's never processed through, so you are stuck with it. Mm -hmm. That trauma, until it gets processed, is experienced emotionally as if it's still going on. And so part of the healing, and there's a lot of cool new modalities to help with that, is to bring it back into an awareness that in linear time that trauma has stopped and you can get uh -huh. free of it. But part of our brain operates with all time being simultaneous. Yeah. What do you think one of the biggest blockages is to pre that prevents people that are, or what is one of the places that most people get stuck during this process? Well, I think there's, again, my background as a therapist. That's why I kind of ask. I think you'd be a good person to ask because of that background. Okay. You know, we've got the physical body. We have the emotional body, the mental body, the spiritual body. As a culture, our emotional bodies are totally a mess. You can't pretty much grow up in this culture unless you've been, you know, in a little island somewhere <laughs> with a bunch of evolved people without having some emotional issues. We don't know how to process through anger, through sadness, what to do about fear. I mean, these are all natural feelings. There's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with feelings. So, um, so they get stuck. And what seems to happen as people are awakening is they either bypass, oh, I don't need to worry about that. I'm not, I forgive you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which many times from my perspective is a Band-Aid, just cover the wound, but don't heal the wound. Right. And, um, and I'll just go into these wonderful, you know, visions I get. So that's one place people get stuck. They try to bypass when, you know, just let me talk about forgiveness, for example. It, ultimately, of course, that's where we want to come to. But to authentically get there, you've got to go through the anger. If somebody treated me in a way that felt violating, it's natural for me to feel angry. Right. I don't want to harm people with that anger. And I don't want to harm myself with the anger. <laughs> Mm -hmm. But I need to find a way to identify it, express it, and ultimately release it. People get really stuck there. They get stuck in depression. I mean, you know how pre prevalent depression is like. I don't know what the latest statistic is, but the number of people on antidepressants, which I could rant about. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I used to see people before their doctors put them on the drugs, and then they didn't need the drug. <laughs> okay, now... now <laughs> When I was still in a fairly big practice 10 years ago, people were all, by the time they got to me, they were already on the drug. Mm -hmm. and usually I had to help them get off. But if we're processing through our emotions, usually we're not going to need to take drugs for any length of time. Sometimes they're important for transition. If you've had a lot of trauma, they can keep you functioning. So I'm not saying never, but I am saying um if we learn how to, what I call honor our feelings, it frees people up hugely. Mm -hmm. So, but because collectively, you know, societally, we don't have many models. And then people are told anger is bad for your heart. I mean, I can go, I can do a rant. Okay. <laughs> but, but I will tell you, I taught in a men's medium uh, security prison. I taught college classes for a few years. 
uh, part-time and I had them do some anger work and I had incredible results. Even though they started off joking, no, we just rather do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's not how they came out the other end. So we tend to get scared of anger or misuse anger. And if we know what to do with it, it can be very empowering, liberating, and ultimately lead to becoming a very non-angry or depressed person. Do you think there's any harm in just having a good old-fashioned fist fight with somebody and being friends afterwards? (laughs) Like, why is that such a bad thing? You know, to me, I think even though it seems violent and crazy and weird, it's just like a good old-fashioned way to settle things and to feel better rather than holding a grudge and fighting forever. Yeah. Well, it's not my way. Let me put it that way. <laughs> the, um, but it does remind me of a um, actually a Tarot teacher many years ago, and she was talking about her mother watching her yell at her kids and said, why don't you just smack him and get it over with? <laughs> and it's sort of what you're saying. Yeah. I, 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 I've just noticed like in my own life, like the conflicts that I've had where I've just gotten in like physical conversation with people. It was over that day. It was over that moment where For in both other people, hmm? For both people. Yeah. Yeah. I, like we would just end you know, up, you know, it's like, it's like you get in a fight and then, like, all right, well, that's over. Let's go have a beer, you know? (laughs) Well, (laughs) honestly, Gary, I think that's probably a holdover from, you know, what, 10, 11? When you could do that and it was simple. Well, even as an adult, I've had that happen to me, honestly. But (laughs) but, but my my guess is it's your inner 11-year-old. Maybe not. (laughs) Because because what I hear is you have certain rules. Mm Mm-hmm. They may not be written down. Right. But the rules are we're going to punch it out and we're not really going to hurt each other. And in the end, we're going to go have a beer. Yeah. But because people don't process through anger, you can do this in a contained way with an agreement. Mm-hmm. That may not work for everybody. And mm. it won't work for everybody, frankly. I don't know. I, I just feel like if people did that more, there would be like less mass murdering and stuff like that. If, well, if people had a safe, if, if a certain level of harmless violence was allowed, then it would maybe eliminate some of the more harmful and traumatic violence. Okay. So we are on the same page in some ways. Because when I talk about anger work, I talk about violent visualization. I talk about, you know, getting, we used to have them back in the 70s and 80s, these padded bats that you can hit things with, pounding things. Some people like to do physical stuff. I hear they have these anger sort of rooms where you can go throw shit Mm -hmm. and and get the, because it's energy. And so... I think what what we would really agree on, if there's a relatively non-harmful way yeah. to release the energy, for you, the fistfights are non-harmful. Mm-hmm. It's nothing I would recommend collectively. No, it's better <laughs> than a gunfight. It is better than a gunfight. <laughs> but, but I think there are other ways to do what that fistfight does mm-hmm. that, to me, would be safer and less, less potentially... Um, set somebody off right um but 
agree. I think what you're talking about is just let's get this over, get the energy out so we don't have to be carrying it anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's like another thing too. I used to experience it like when I'd go to like punk shows, you know, and a crowd would just be going completely wild, slam dancing and stage diving and whatever. But you know, afterwards everybody's all happy and like, ah, that was good. <laughs> well, you know, again, and then we all grew up call, to be normal. What I would call working with your anger <laughs> would actually some of that, except to make sure you don't get hurt at all physically, um, with uh, with intent to release the feelings mm -hmm. in a way that's again already set up so it can't hurt anybody, including yourself. <laughs> Where slam dancing or <laughs> diving into pits or whatever, you never know. But but it what I, again, where I think we really agree is it's a release of energy. Yeah. And if it gets released in a non harmful way, we don't bring it back in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it, I, I find, for me anyway, it's been much better that way. Uh -huh. yeah, especially like growing up as a kid. Because like I was a kid, I was a pretty angry kid, you know. And, and, and but but all that other type of those, those types of activities gave me that outlet, you know. And and, uh, and, and back then we had the outlet and it was acceptable. Right. And, and it seems like there was a lot less mass murder and a lot less violence. Um, that was really way you know. Well, it was, you know, people didn't have assault weapons. Oh, there was that. So, well, actually, they did. My dad had a machine gun when I was a kid. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm naive then. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but that is interesting that maybe there are other outlets. Of course, we know how much of, of, of abuse was going on in families, too, which mm -hmm. was an outlet of people getting hurt. Um, so, again, I would not recommend... Um, physical violence, but uh, but expressing anger physically, I would recommend. Mm -hmm. And there's a, uh, a book called, uh, I can't remember the name exactly, but it's written about societies that had no rape and no violence and what they did. And they were primitive societies. They went in, if you were mad, you'd go into this sort of tent thing and you'd just throw shit and smash things mm -hmm. and get the feelings out. Yeah. And then there was no need to. However, I do believe if we're if we're treated respectfully and I, I don't believe that violence is intrinsic. I think anger is. Yeah. But if if we can just express, hey, that makes me really angry as we go along instead of storing it up where we mm -hmm. just really want to punch somebody out. Um then I, it's like our energy doesn't go there anymore. We're free. Right. That's what keeps coming to me. Yeah. Like one of the things that I was surprised about too is like like with Buddhist monks, like everybody patrons them as these super calm, meditative guys. And they are. But at the same time too, for entertainment, they fight. <laughs> Really? Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. they have the, the, they they have they have these crazy debates and they stamp their feet and they'll smack each other and. <laughs> well, you know, it's, one thing it's the, the funniest thing to watch. Okay, um, Barbara Hancock writes about how indigenous tribes worked through these fourth dimensional dramas mm -hmm. by acting it out in plays. 
That's what so it was kind of like. That's what I'm hearing. And uh, she called it the archetypal stream. Mm-hmm. So they're 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 actually moving into different archetypes and expressing them. And, yeah. Um, and then being done with it. So <laughs> this is the funniest thing. They'll be sitting there meditating, all peaceful, having a dharma talk, and then it's time for debate, and they're stamping their feet and they're smacking each other, and then they go right back to. Chilling out and meditating again. <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, I, if you just think about our our talk today, how much we've laughed. Mm-hmm. Having a sense of humor, I think, is very five. Oh yeah, heels. That kind of humor. Okay, and being able to not take things so seriously. Uh huh. And again, if it's coming from the heart, it's fine. <laughs> But we get damaged. Our hearts get damaged, so we have to heal them. Mm-hmm. And then whatever comes through has some lightheartedness to it. Right. You know, I was having interviewing somebody else yesterday, sort of on the same topic. And, um, you know, we were talking about one of the topics, things you mentioned is like, you know, oh, we've, we've chosen this life before we were incarnated. And my thing was like, well, if I had chosen chance to choose my life before – hand i would have chosen to be keith richards not me <laughs> well that's what you can say now but talk to your because I, I totally agree with whoever said that because i think we choose it because our soul is carrying certain patterns mm-hmm. that we want to heal and so a lot of times we replicate a trauma that we've been through in other lifetimes or a pattern that we've been through in other lifetimes especially here now because we have the opportunity to heal it. Right. So, yeah. Um, and, <laughs> you know, that fame and fortune might look like it would be really fun, but it probably wouldn't have worked for your soul. The other thing mm-hmm. is that, um, again, I do think souls, I don't know if you've ever read uh, the books of Michael Newton. No. But he wrote Destiny of Souls, Journey of Souls. He was a hypnotherapist. And he was just hypnotizing people in this lifetime. And then outside of his belief system, he found they were flipping into pre-birth experiences. Mm -hmm. And he started collecting tons of information. And of what it was like, you know, you've talked about the colors that you saw. Mm -hmm. He was... Uh, putting together whole systems of things that people experience that seem to be universal of what it was like before coming into this body, which one would hypothesize it will be like when we leave this body as well. And how the soul learns and makes decisions. And it's very cool. Do you think there's a life review? Uh, you know, I do. I don't know whether you get, it, it looks like what, what we think it is. Um, but I do think, because everything's energy, when we have unhealed parts, mm-hmm. um, whether because we've acted out on somebody else or they've acted out on us, it creates an energy configuration that doesn't go away when we leave our body. So to work with that healing 
you have to have some kind of life review. Again, I don't know that it's linear in the way we would imagine it, mm -hmm. but I definitely think there's, you know, there's opportunities that come in that uh, to sort of look over what, where the soul is at and what needs to be, what still needs help. And what, again, I keep using this word free and clear. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, well, if there is one, I hope it looks more like uh, an energy blueprint rather than an actual review. Yeah. that That's a great way to say it. So that, then, I, then I don't have to look at uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have to look in detail at some of the bad things I've done. <laughs> Which was acting out being human. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, again, we're all, I pulled this out from actually a record in the a comedy record in the 60s. We're all bozos on this bus. You know, we're all mm -hmm. kind of bumbling through this life best we can. And we're not always going to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally, as we evolve and open our hearts, we're much nicer, but mm -hmm. it's just the way it is. And um, um, and yes, I think your your idea of this energy blueprint. So, you know, maybe you were a mean kid, but then you opened your heart and you had a very different point of view. I think that that energy configuration really shifts. It doesn't maybe go away totally, but it's like very faint. Mm hmm. So your energetic blueprint, you know, maybe a little red spot. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm <laughs> Is it a big blurry spot with that three months on uh, angel dust? <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> and, you know, as you or as we forgive ourselves and understand a lot of what we've done, either was it out of reactivity um, because we were suffering on some level or just ignorance. Yeah. Again, it's part of the human condition and we do the best we can. Again, the more we can open our hearts both to ourselves and to others, it's going to look really much better energy configuration. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like my biggest mistakes um, was, was really – Misuse of language, misuse of words, saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the things that I really regret more than anything else. You know, like, I mean, I've done some bad things, but it's the things that I've said that, that hurt people, you know. And, and I think that's been a huge, like, I don't think maybe we, I don't know if everybody realizes how powerful that is, you know. Well, you know, this is tricky because if you say something hurtful to me, I ultimately have the choice of taking mm -hmm. it in or not. So while, you know, if if we're connected and you do that and I say, hey, knock it off, <laughs> okay, <laughs> and you don't listen, we probably won't stay connected very long. Right. But, um, but I also think that sometimes we have a tendency to be overly responsible. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're not perfect. So you said some mean stuff. So would you apologize to that person now? Oh, absolutely. People? I'm sure I apologized then, you know. Uh, well, you know what? 
then the only thing that keeps it in your field is the part where you haven't forgiven yourself. Oh. That sounds like work. <laughs> well, you asked what keeps us stuck. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but you can bring your sense of humor with you when you do the work. <laughs> okay. Doesn't have to be that kind of work. Yeah. Plus, plus I know to um you know, all, all those things were when I was young and I really didn't yeah. know better. You know, I exactly. I had no idea what I was doing most of the time. You know, was, everything looks different when you look back than when you're actually in it. Right. <laughs> and again, forgiving those parts of ourselves. I mean, really, it it's very, it's collectively important. Mm -hmm. Okay. And from my perspective, I think you're kind of there, there too, Gary. Like if you could forgive that part of yourself, you would model to other people they could forgive that part of themselves. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I don't think anybody should spend the rest of their life beating, beating themselves up for something. Right. It's not productive. It's not productive. And actually, it, it doesn't help people change. Mm -hmm. It helps us change us to cheer ourselves on. Hmm. You're a good therapist. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we wrap this up, where can my listeners find you? Okay, empoweringthespirit.com. And if people have any interest in, uh, if you'll get on my website, there's a pop-up where you can sign up for my newsletter and mailing list. And you'll get a free downloadable meditation on soul contracts. Yeah, that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it took me a minute. Um, so empoweringthespirit.com. All right. So I'll definitely post a link to that in the notes of this episode so my listeners can check it out while they're listening. That'd be great, Gary. And thanks so much for being on. This was fun. Yes, it was fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Hang on one second, and I just have to play my outro. Okay. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.